I, I, there's something about this movie, you know, every movie that we talk about, it's kind of like this, could this be made now? Like what, you know, is there space for a movie like this? And as many horror movies are getting made these days, hell no, absolutely not. Would there be space for a movie that is this tonally bonkers (laughs) and at the same time, horrifically violent? It's Ricky. I don't know what you're talking about. It's just your typical cannibal horror comedy about inequality for children. Like it's they make these movies all the time. the street to avoid. Now, Wes Craven, creator of A Nightmare on Elm Street, takes you inside. Something's in here. We gotta get out of here, Leroy. All sorts of rumors about what goes on in that house. The police never took it serious. She's been feeding that thing between the walls again. Very, very tense about this. What goes on in this house is a sin. But what goes on under the stairs is a nightmare. (laughs) Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs. It, everything is sort of coasting along and it's creepy and it's, but it's like kind of campy and, and has like a children's movie tone at times. And then all of a sudden he's just eating a body that he's, <laughs> that he's cutting up. He's just has a body hanging upside down and is like carving it like a pig and like eating it and throwing it. and like, yeah. And like throwing pieces of the body to the, to the people under the stairs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Who are, by the way, like zombies somehow or something? I mean, I understand they've had their tongues cut out or whatever, but I don't know why that's turned them into zombies. Uh, Well, because they're pale, right? They're extremely pale because they they can't talk and they're pale. I just thought they all looked like members of the Seattle grunge scene in the (laughs) early 90s. I thought they all looked like cool LA surfer dudes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like in the last shot, of the movie when he like the kid looks up and the 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 like main person from under the stairs is like gives him a smile and a nod before he runs out into the world which is like part two right like like, you know it's like a happy ending where these apparently were these like people who who've been kidnapped and grown up underneath the staircase in the basement of this house fed human flesh and don't have tongues are just let free into the world with no supervision no one's looking after them they're apparently you know like what like what does the movie imagine their future is to be that that like you know anybody can make it in america including the people under the stairs because either they're like 
horrible monsters that are going to go eat people or they're like the terrible victims of a lifetime of brutalizing abuse who are like now like, homeless like what what are they supposed like, to fucking do i want one of the i want the scene where one of them applies for a job at like a car yes. rental place he just sees know? like a help wanted sign and walks uh, in uh, <laughs> uh, and then like he's, someone he's like miming like washing a windshield yeah. And they're like, get out of here. <laughs> Someone like walks by and he like tries to grab them to eat it, eat them. <laughs> Welcome to 30 years later. I'm your host, Ricky Camilleri. You're joined. I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, the wonderful, my friend, oh my one Lord. of the great oh minds wow. of Brooklyn, New York. Wow. Uh, really one of the great minds of like a zip code in Brooklyn, New York. I but mean, I, that might be stretching it as well because that zip code is kind of filled with great minds at this point. Due I just, you could just, honestly, like you were doing really good and I feel like you don't need to keep you. You were doing great. And like, just, just, just stop, you know, <laughs> I build you up to bring you down. Oh, my friend, Chris Chafin, yeah. everybody. Hello, Chris everybody. Chafin. It's me. Hi. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Ricky. You know, so great to be here. Excited to talk about this crazy ass movie that I had never seen before, but I gather you've seen a hundred times, as is I have seen usually this, the case on the show. Yeah, I have seen this movie a few, t a handful of times. Uh, we are talking about Wes Craven's "The People Under the Stairs" from November first, nineteen ninety one. It's a movie that had a bit of a resurgence post Get Out because um, Jordan Peele would reference it as a socially conscious horror movie which was like what he was inspired by when he made Get Out and the kind of horror movies that he wants to make. And I think he even has a deal to remake it. Yeah, he and does. They're, they're developing talking, it. You were talking before about like, would they make this movie today? Like theoretically, Jordan Peele is developing a series version of this movie, but I think he's been developing it for like three years. And is it really going to go anywhere? I don't, I don't know if it is. Uh, a series version? Like they're developing a TV series? Yeah, they're developing a TV series. Hmm. That's cool. I mean, apparently, before, just before Wes Craven died, he was developing a series for sci-fi for it as well. Yeah, I, so I read about that too, yeah. So this movie uh, comes out November 1st, 1991, a budget of $6 million. It ended up making about $30 million at the box office. So a pretty huge success that um, I think basically gives Craven the cachet to get the budget to make New Nightmare. Though I don't really know if People Under the Stairs was instrumental in that, considering... New Line was probably always looking to make another Freddy movie, and he had a really good pitch in regards to how to how to revamp Freddy. Uh, he's coming off of the movie Shocker with uh, Peter Berg, which is a movie about a um, guy on death row that it's basically Ernest goes to jail, but funny. Or I mean, that's funny, but Ernest goes to jail, but an actual horror movie. Right, but I right, will right. say it is one of these one of shocker is 100 worth a watch it doesn't work that well but there is so much craziness in it it goes over the top in every possible way to the point where in the last the climax of the movie is peter burr getting chased by the killer through television shows like it turns into stay tuned <laughs> oh my god oh i'm seeing this right now i'm seeing a a digitized guy climbing out of a tv like the ring <laughs> like, yes oh um god. It's 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 pure Wes Craven. Uh, it's less gory, I think, than than some of the other stuff and and what he's known for, and definitely less gory than People Under the Stairs. And uh, so this movie, uh, right off the bat, I saw this when I was growing up, and then I watched it a few years ago, and then 
uh, I think I might've watched it a year ago again and just watched it again for this. And uh, I love this movie. It's tonally, it is all over the map. It's, it's, it's unclear exactly what it wants to be, but maybe it is exactly what it wants to be. And um, it's, it's, it's violent. It's sadistic. It's, it's, darkly humorous and it's in all of the right and strangest places at the same time. We'll get into the specific things about it as we go through the plot, but this movie is, uh, there's just in terms of this podcast as well. I just don't think there's a, you could make this movie now horror movies. There isn't really a space for horror movies to be this. I think silly in in a with for mainstream appeal like most horror movies are like i mean you maybe could make this because it takes place in one location and every fucking horror movie that comes out now is like in one location yeah what's what's that one where they're trying to kill the guy from uh avatar who's uh blind you know where they oh those movies those movies are good (laughs) those movies are good uh, but just speaking of movies that take place in one location and you know seem very cheap to make and but the thing is about those movies <laughs> you 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 would think that you're right but those are actually produced by Sony and have budgets of like 10 to 20 million dollars <laughs> what for what for because chris they look fucking awesome yeah yeah like yeah, yeah. um we're talking about Don't Breathe. Don't and breathe. they're actually like Fidi Alvarez, the director of those movies who directed the Evil Dead remake, um, is a really good director. He didn't direct Don't Bring uh Don't Breathe 2. That was directed by somebody else who was who's his co-writer all the time. But they they're very well blocked, choreographed, shot films. There's care put into them, they take time. They are trashy B movies, but they're a hell of a lot of fun. The second one is so insane and ridiculous. I saw it in the theater. I was didn't it like it just and, come out that movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was me and one other guy. He was like <laughs> ten rows behind me, and I was laughing like Max Cady at Problem Child in Cape Fear, which we'll talk about <laughs> next week. You you had never seen this movie? No, before. I had never seen it. I had heard of it vaguely as like a movie. I knew there was cannibalism involved, and I knew it was like kind of gross. Uh, and that was all I really knew about it. I think this is from like a child's point of view. I mean, like the poster has a skull on it. I knew there's cannibals. I just kind of thought it was going to be even as recently as like two days ago. I said to you like, oh, is this movie going to like weird me out? <laughs> and the answer is no, it did not at all. <laughs> it did not at all weird me out. And it's basically a children's movie. Yeah, there are moments in it where... uh I mean, it, it, you could say it's a children's movie, but I, I also think he just can't resist going for. Okay, there's a dog in the movie. Let's do a bunch of bits with the dog. There are there is a part there's a stretch in this movie of about maybe 15 minutes where it's just all dog chases. Every scene, anytime the because the whole setup is like somebody's searching for somebody and the other person's hiding. And anytime the person who's searching sees the person who's hiding, he sicks the dog on him and then cut to a three minute long dog chase scene. And there's even the dog gets like a, like a, like a poignant death scene. That's kind of stretched out over a bunch of the movie where he like, the dog like tilts his head to one side and his tongue falls out and he goes, uh what's the character's name that lives in the walls oh yeah is it like roach or something yeah roach roach like throws a toy at the dog they're running through the walls there's literally like 
you know, three feet of space yes, between the right. walls in this house. It's so great. And uh, the dog is like chasing them and he throws a toy uh, at the dog and the dog runs up to the toy and it's a trap floor in the walls. And it turns into a slide, like a shoot that shoots the dog back into the kitchen. And it's just <laughs> this great shot where like they're being chased by this evil couple who are cannibals. And it's like the dog slides down through the house and it's like, a shot like a kid's movie of like you know someone going down a slide that they're not supposed to go down and then it shoots out of a cabinet in the kitchen and like go like slides across the floor and And like like, the footage is like sped up a little bit obviously and the dog's going (laughs) movie about class and cannibalism yeah and murder and slavery and like also has this weird preoccupation with like 50s parents like that's kind of like the main thing that's going on in a lot of it, right? Is like these people are these like surrogates for strict 50s parents who are obsessed with telling you you're going to hell and talking about, you know, the neighborhood and, you know. Post, Post-Reagan post America, right? Yeah, post-Reagan America. Yeah, do we want to do this like is... a quick pop plot synopsis of this movie, Ricky? Would, would you like to try? Yeah, but I, I will say what's interesting about this, or maybe I'll just say this in the, in the plot synopsis, but... Um, uh, a, a young black kid lives with his family. They live in, you know, what ostensibly be called, you know, low income housing in in the ghetto. And they're going to get thrown out of the apartment because they miss rent. But um, they miss rent because mom's sick and they haven't even missed by that much time. And it turns out that the people who own the property don't care and they just want them out of there because they're going to demolish the building and, you know, do something, sell the property, do something to make more money. Uh, that's what I was going to say it's odd watching this like just a few weeks after city of hope. Right. Which is like what city of hope is about. This must've been like a pretty big conversation in the eighties, like rezoning and gentrification uh, and, 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 you know, and demolish, but like demolishing low income housing. That's what batteries not included is about too. It's like, that's what it's about is gentrification. (laughs) Like, um, and so they, this kid gets told by Ving Rhames in a top, notch just grade a ving rames performance just some amazing lines and some amazing line readings by ving rames he has he has my favorite line in the movie which is my favorite line i've heard in a movie in a very long time which is the (laughs) the little kid says uh this is my this is the i guess i guess my first day of being 13 couldn't have been more unlucky something along those lines and ving rames says to him nothing more unlucky than being 13 too old for tit and too young for ass. <laughs> what a line. What a line, right? Oh and then God. he says this like as he's breaking into the house. So like this... he says it and then like knock opens the house. So they decide to go they decide to go rob this the the landlord's house because they've heard that there's gold in it. And uh there's a whole plan for them to get in there. Like but you know once... how you know your landlord has gold because <laughs> they're rich, you know what I mean? And then, but once they get in there, they get trapped, they're getting chased, and the landlords are, are this psychotic couple played by uh, Wendy Roby and Everett McGill, who uh, people know from, from Twin Peaks. They're a couple, they're like a, a, a very loving, strange couple on Twin and Peaks. And is how they got cast in this movie, apparently, is Wes yeah. Craven saw Twin Peaks and was just like, oh, I want to do something with those people, you know? And Wendy Roby has said this is the most fun she's ever had on the set of a movie, which you can see in the movie. She's having an, a ball. Um, but it turns out that they are, 
outrageously sadistic, uh, murderous, cannibalistic psychopaths who have been kidnapping children and locking them in the basement and cutting out their tongues because they want a boy. Uh, but none of, but all of the boys talk back and aren't, and, and aren't good boys. So they, they're kept in the basement where they're fed human flesh, any kind of like leftovers or remains. And, um, then it turns out that the, wait, can I just say there, there's a part actually brother and sister, right? Yeah. Just speaking of them getting thrown in the basement, there's a part where, so they have, they were trying to get a son, but they have a daughter and the daughter is explaining the situation. And she says, well, but they get flashlights. They're happy after a fashion, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> the daughter who gets to live in the house and is beaten uh, routinely by them, uh, you know, to the point where, like, it's just so... his se- Craven's sense of humor is so sadistic because there's a scene where we first really see how evil this couple is, where Everett McGill is about to beat AJ Langer, his daughter Alice, and he pulls a his belt out and he goes, "Bad girls go to hell," <laughs> and it's kind of played for laughs. Like he's an adult man about to beat a a a, a, four, a, a, a supposed to be a twelve year old girl. Yeah, and he's wrapping uh, the belt around his fist, like he's just gonna start punching her in the face with the belt. And fucking Craven kind of plays it for laughs. <laughs> But bad that's... girls go to hell. Yeah. I mean, that's like the whole movie, though, is this kind of like walking this knife's edge between like eating somebody's guts and then like making it into a, a like an over the top joke, which I mean, I, I honestly really admire not to interrupt the like plot synopsis because yeah, they get tra- they get trapped in the house and then they're trying to get out of the house. And that's basically the whole movie. Right. You know? Right. And you learn a little more about this family as you, as you get through, as you, as they're trapped in the house, right? Like they're trapped in the house. They're trying to get away. They go to, fa- eventually they fall downstairs. They meet the people under the stairs. Eventually Ving Rhames seem like they're the bad guys, but maybe actually they're the good guys, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what were you going to say? Well, it's, I mean, maybe this is like stupid, but I admire that someone like Wes Craven at this point in his career, where he's just a couple years away from making Wes Craven's new nightmare, right? Which is a very self-referential, like mature kind of movie that you would expect from someone at this point in his career, that he's able to make a movie like this, that is like completely fucking bonkers, like nothing he's ever done before. Very experimental, very much obviously like everybody's having a lot of fun. Uh, like, I really think that's great. And it like speaks a lot to his, like, you know, his abilities as an artist to like stay interested, challenge himself, try new things, like create a good environment for the people that he works with. That I think is so hard after having like a decade of basically the most unimaginable success you could possibly have, you know, with your dumb Freddy Krueger movies. Well, he's always been, well, he only directed one Freddy Krueger movie with the exception of New Nightmare. Right. And that was the first Nightmare on Elm Street. And the first Nightmare on Elm Street is kind of humorless if you're not... Um, I find the first Nightmare on Elm Street pretty funny, specifically specifically Ronnie Blakely, the mother who's an alcoholic, who like at one point in the movie pulls like a full bottle of vodka from like a... Uh, a pantry cabinet or like a ta- like a, <laughs> a a cabinet where there's towels. She pulls a full bottle of vodka out and just starts chugging it in the hallway. It's very funny. And I think he is having fun there too. But in this movie, he really like, 
he's not hiding that he's having fun. Yeah, right. He's just kind of like, it's it's great. It's kind of like it's kind of in a, in a way as much as it wouldn't be made now. It is kind of like a modern idea of movies, which is like this is all fun. Just throw it all into the mix, right? We don't have to channel what. We don't have to channel exactly what this movie is and it doesn't have to stick to that tone. It's everything. Just throw it all in. Yeah. I think, um, and <laughs> I mean, speaking of it having everything like, yeah, it, it's a movie about gentrification. It's a movie that has commentary on capitalism. It's like an adventure movie. It's like a horror movie. It's a comedy. It's a children's movie. And it just kind of from like, and it's not even like scene to scene, like it's all stapled together. It kind of all works. It's kind of all yes. like fused together in this way that seems like it would be completely impossible. But I, I think it's, it actually is great. <laughs> it actually is. Somehow really it all works. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow it all works the way that he, he throws it together. I'm not exactly sure where, that begins right because it doesn't really begin on like big comedic notes yeah well you know what a movie that i kept thinking about when i was watching this movie was one we've done on the show previously which was um nothing but trouble like i feel like Mm. nothing but trouble wanted to be this movie and it has almost exactly the same mechanics like we're stuck in the house of these crazy monsters but and there's all kinds of and this movie has like stairs that turn into slides and special switches that lock the doors and like do things to the windows and all the kind of gimmicky shit that they had in um, nothing but trouble. But somehow that movie, despite having Dan Aykroyd and Chevy chase, it was like never funny really. And it, it felt like it couldn't decide what was going on in a way that this movie just seems like untroubled. Like this movie is just like empty headed in a way that I mean, as an like a compliment, like it's just like, it's just behaving, you know? which I I think really works. Well, also, this movie doesn't have a dick for a nose. Right, yeah. Right, like someone doesn't isn't just suddenly like... It's, I, I would argue this movie is almost like tasteful com- compared to <laughs> Nothing But Trouble, right? Where it's like, there, there's is. something about... Like it knows that like showing the hanging body and like the, the guy having blood around his mouth is sort of enough. Whereas like in Nothing But Trouble... The guy would be like trying to, it'd be like a, a blubberous, like latex body suit yeah, that's like yeah. tr- talking about eating the farts out of the dead body while also shitting all over itself. And it would just be, it'd be such an overkill, right? Whereas this movie knows that one more step would be overkill here. So let's just stay here. And, and yet, knows, in no way is it subtle or not over the top. Like there's like, there's a, a, a thread going on where maybe the dad is sexually abusing the daughter. Right. But they never quite go there. There's just like little moments, like when um they've got, you can safely assume that he probably is. like this yeah. family is into everything bad that you could be into. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, definitely. But like textually, there's just like, there's kind of just like one real moment where um, the daughter, AJ Langer, she's hung up in the attic or something and the Everett McGill comes in and he's in, which we have failed to mention so far is periodically Everett McGill is suddenly in like battle gimp wear. (laughs) It's just... He's wearing Which a is like, leather suit and a leather mask. And it'll be like in the previous scene, he was dressed normally. And then you cut back to him one minute later and he's wearing the suit and running around shooting a shotgun. This giant shotgun where he's just shooting holes in the wall of his own house all over the house. Constantly. And just, 
running around in this gimp outfit being like Aah! so Just much of screaming. the sound of this movie is the cocking and shooting of shotguns like constantly over and over and over again like the but the amount of money this man must spend on shotgun shells and this is by the way in his introduction he's eating a giant rack of ribs which we can assume to be human ribs and he's pulling oh, a shot out of them and put throwing it in a plate i love that introduction because they're like they're talking about tearing down this building and uh and all everett mcgill says while he's eating the ribs is he goes more money for me <laughs> <laughs> and all he says is more money for me It's a very subtle commentary on capitalism, Ricky. I don't know if you caught the kinds of things that are going on. (laughs) We're going to tear down those buildings and more money for me. And the daughter's like, there she's like, where did the people go when they get kicked out of the house? And they're like, shut up. Yeah. Bad girls go to hell. hell. Um, So fool our young protagonist who is like a 12 year old boy who gets uh, trapped in the house and then gets thrown down the stairs and then meets the people under the stairs and sees his older friend get killed and sees the family eating a body uh, has to eventually team up with the daughter to fight back against this family, though it is not that cut and dry how this thing takes place. It's much messier than that, which is what's fun about it. And um, they're just totally insane. That's it. Then like at a certain point in the movie, it's just about watching this family be insane. But the end of the movie, which is, you know, we're probably skipping over a lot and we can get back back to it. But the the end of the movie is that the community actually does rise up against this, this, this landlord in, in an echo once again of city of hope where it ends with the community banding together outside the wealthy elites and, and saying, we're not going to take this shit anymore. I mean, it is sort of a poignant um, vision, I think, by artists of this time period that they could see the kind of trajectory America was on. And they wanted to imagine that, like, people would stand up against it and revolt in some way, um, which, like, largely didn't happen at all, right? I mean, I mean, I guess Bill Clinton got elected in 1992, but, like, how much better was that, really, you know? What I mean, and you know I was I was too young. So what happened there, right? Because you talk to people from that period, and they're like Reagan just decimated the country. There was poverty everywhere. It was so awful. But then, did Clinton just make everybody okay with poverty? Because it didn't go away. <laughs> yeah, I don't. It was more like he just seemed like he cared about people rather than he seemed like he didn't care about people. But he didn't really do anything. I mean, he actually did worse things. Well, here's the thing I will say in defense of like the Clinton era, you know, and this is coming from somebody who's like a Southern Democrat or whatever. Um, The things that people wanted to do, like the things that Republicans wanted to do were so much crazier than the things that actually happened. And in retrospect, the things that happened seem like inhumane and, and awful, like the crime bill and welfare reform. But like in the context of what was going on at the time, these were like the most liberal solutions that were being seriously discussed on a national stage. And it was a right. different situation then than now. Like there wasn't as much like diversity of thought because there was like the three networks and Newsweek and Time, you know, and like that was basically it, you know. Whereas now there's an actual conversation and a collective uh, and a po- and a populace that wants uh, progressive 
policy and they're just like no yeah yeah it's much easier to know what people actually want right now and yeah. and people still don't do it you know whereas back then still you could convincingly it. say like well this is what people want and it really wasn't what anybody wanted but you were like well i guess if that's what they say i don't know i mean i don't know you know um do you want to do do you want to do our questions at the end of the let's do, our, let's do, let's do our questions yeah 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 yeah. so ricky the first question is real easy it's just what's your favorite part of the movie oh that's a real hard one for me on this movie i have a <laughs> lot i have a number of favorite i have parts. at least I mean, two i'm gonna say so yeah i've already it. mentioned one which is ving rames's line about being a 13 year old boy too too old for tit too young for ass um, I also think my favorite part is, uh, that the people under the stairs look like members of the Seattle grunge scene <laughs> yes, in the early nineties, complete great. with flannels, complete with flannels <laughs> and like torn jeans and like long scraggly blonde hair. Um, and they're all kind of then, muscular for people that live under the stairs and only eat human flesh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, I love every time Everett McGill is like running around, but I specifically love, and I've already said at the moment at the beginning where he says more money for me. <laughs> that's just like a hilarious introduction. And that's, you know what? That's actually maybe the moment in the movie where it like gives itself away in terms of like letting you know what kind of movie this is going to be. Yeah. 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 Right. Cause he's got like that comically large rib cage that he's eating from. And his line is what I've said several times already, which is so on the nose that like, the movie is like, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be a freak show. It's gonna be a, yeah, a goofy yeah. carnival freak show, you know. And like, what about you? Oh, you know, I have a couple. So you were talking about Ving Rhames' lines. So like, I also really like. He has some amazing lines. Um, I let me just read a couple of them to you. So they're staking out the house, Ving Rhames and Fool the kid, and they see the mom drive away, and the and Fool says. Oh, well, uh, maybe there's like some kids home or old people or something like we shouldn't go in. And Ving Rhame goes, maybe the president's going to make me secretary of pussy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's a great line. <laughs> amazing line. Amazing line. Also, there's another one where he's um trying to he, he has this crowbar that he's using to break into everything. And he at one point breaks into one door and like a, a bookcase flies across the room and he turns like to to fool, but really like to camera. And he goes. I done busted this house's cherry. <laughs> He's sex it's obsessed. So gross. It's so gross. Like the, for some reason they wrote this character to be like crude and sex obsessed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so those are all really great. Also, there's a really great scene as much as we were talking about um, nothing but trouble. There is this kind of home alone aspect to this movie too. Cause it's like this booby trapped house that they're going around. So there's a part where the dog is biting Ving Rhames. Fool is pulling Ving Rhames and he grabs onto the doorknob and they all three get electrocuted <laughs> through the like right, current and right. they're all shaking like down to the dog who's holding onto Ving Rhames by his arm. And it's like, I don't know if you see lightning bolts fly through them, but like that's the general vibe, you know? Right. That's a really good example of the kind of like huge tonal swing this movie takes in the middle of being a horror movie. Yeah. Where all of a sudden there is an extreme Looney Tune electric, uh, electrocution moment yeah 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 so all that shit fucking rules i really liked all that stuff um i also like everett mcgill in the gimp costume you know if you've never seen this movie and you sit down to watch it for the first time the gimp costume just 
kills you immediately. It's so funny and it's out of nowhere. And I also really like, you know, it's not really a single part, but I do really like uh, heavy handed class warfare politics yeah, in, mainstream, in mainstream movies, comedies and, and horror movies, especially a horror movie like this where it's pretty unexpected and, and, and rare. Now it's not rare at all. Everything wants to be like, but it's all super serious. Like this was, it's one thing that people kind of forget about get out and like this quest to make more woke horror movies is that get out was a comedy. Get out is really funny. And that's one of the most appealing things about it. You know, it was what I didn't like about us. I thought us was super self-serious and not very funny or entertaining. Because when a movie is as self-serious as us was, you spend more time trying to make it logically make sense. And it's just kind of like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And that doesn't make any sense. But yeah. if it kind of played like broadly, you just, you're like, oh, okay, whatever. You know, it's fine. You know, my favorite parts about uh, us which someone yelled at me for saying one time, not for saying, but they were like, of course, that's your favorite parts were the parts with Tim Heidecker oh, and yeah. Elizabeth Moss. Because he's being funny, you know? They're being they're funny. funny. <laughs> they're being entertaining and funny. They're not being like drab and serious. It was so, like the family stuff was so boring. And just so like, yeah, so self-serious, like not a fun horror movie vibe at all. You know? and, and I didn't, I didn't think Lupita Nyong'o's voice thing was creepy or anything. It's, it's you just know? kind of stupid. It's just kind yeah. of stupid. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, at least when, at least when, um, uh, where's my mouse here? Oh. At least when Sean Whalen is doing it as Roach, it's like kind of goofy, right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and plus he's just wearing like five pounds of cake makeup to make him look pale which is like pretty funny you know you just looks- and he's got like he's got like when he shows his tongue it's all like rotted and scabbed yeah. like it was just cut off like a week ago or something like it just looks horrific it's so great it's so great he's been in a lot of stuff right sean whalen yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff. He's also been in a lot of like commercials, I think. Oh yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I'm looking at him in like the fifth picture is him as like a pizza guy on Friends, <laughs> you know? A lot of like right. that level of stuff. Um, so Chris, uh, you know, we started this podcast uh last year and it's thirty years later, so really any movie we talk about is gonna have come out in the nineties, though I am gonna start pushing to change that, maybe for our Patreon for the three people who wanna yeah, pay five dollars. Listen to us talk about, I don't know, evil dead. Um but what was the most nineties thing about this movie? Well, for interesting you? questions. So I have some real answers and I have some things I just would like to talk about I haven't talked about yet. So um Yes, please, please. So on that tip, like there's um we're talking about how it's like an, an inequality movie. And one thing I thought was really interesting about it, kind of an interesting perspective on, on inequality. I don't think you get, you would get these days is um, so these people, like they're living in this house of horrors. That's full of monsters. They spend all their time running around, shooting their walls, screaming. It's filthy inside. It's disgusting. But you you occasionally forget they're spo- they're supposed to be the landlords that are like demolishing all these houses and are super wealthy. And then finally at the end of the movie, you get to see their like cash hoard 
and it's like they just have a giant room that's full of like decaying cash and like stacks of gold coins and it doesn't seem like they give a shit about any of that stuff they just want old timey bags of money like literally old timey bags bags of of gold coins it's just like but it is it's like saying that they don't you know it doesn't mean anything to them they just want to possess it but it doesn't hold any value for them they're not they're not being coded as rich people do you know what i mean they're just being coded as monsters and I think it's a really interesting point of view to say, like, the we- the wealth is not even, they're not even enjoying it. I feel like in a movie today, a people like this would be like, they'd have like a fancy townhouse they lived in that was like so impeccable looking, you know, and they'd have like a fancy car outside. But then you find out really they're monsters. Whereas this movie is like, no, they obviously are monsters. And the money is like, they don't even care. They just keep it in a hole in the ground. Right, they just want more of it, but it, none of it matters. Right, exactly. Because, because, to, it, because to have that point of view on wealth accumulation, it's to say like, it, wealth accumulation is meaningless and it doesn't add anything to your you as a human being. There's nothing cool that you get out of it. Whereas I feel like today you have to have, you have, to have, you have this kind of core level idea that like, oh, rich people are somehow living a better life than me. You know, which obviously well, is true, but you know, that reminds me of Succession. That's why I, one. That's one of the main things that I like about Succession is that this family is ultra wealthy, but you never, ever, ever see them enjoying any of their wealth. Right? Like they don't hate it. It's all very. It's very much just there for them, right? But they're never happy, and they're never kind of like grateful for any of it yeah yeah so that was all really interesting um also i think this is a real like don't go in there kind of horror movie which i don't think you get a lot of these days a lot of like people opening doors they shouldn't open you know and you're like don't go in there Ah!" like that's a real 90s 80s thing to me um what about you ricky what's the most 90s part of this movie to you i actually think that that's pretty hard because um I think Wes Anderson really goes 90s when he does Scream and New Nightmare and he becomes like a self-referential horror filmmaker. That to me feels yeah. much more 90s Very than meta, this. This feels you know, yeah. yeah, this feels more like an 80s horror movie even in the way that it is like kind of a fable and like a children's movie. Like it feels like The Goonies meets a Wes Craven horror movie from the 80s or what we would think of a horror movie from the 80s. But there is a moment in the midst of it where they um uh fool looks at a sees a tv screen and like oh, there's yes. there's, a, there's like uh footage from the iraq war invasion which i thought was like pretty amazing for this movie to just toss i thought in so too to toss in with like no there's no follow-up and it's just kind of yeah. like happening in the movie mm-hmm. and like you're left to give your own meaning to it you know and it was not like the iraq war was like unpopular exactly like i think it was pretty popular so like you know it's not like not an easy swing, do you know what I mean? It's not like an like yeah. everybody is like, oh right, the fucking Iraq War. Do you remember who's watching that footage though? Like where that TV is? I think it's in the basement, and the people under the stairs right. are watching the TV. Yeah, so the people under the stairs are watching the Iraq War invasion. They're the only ones witnessing American war crimes. They're the only ones keyed into the events of the world. You know, like yeah. Yeah, um, it's pretty weird. But yeah, that that's 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 sort of that's probably the most '90s thing about the about the movie. Um, and Chris, uh, last but not least, our final question, and I feel like we've already kind of been talking about this, but um, 
it's been 30 years since this movie came out. What do you think um, we have grown out of? Well, Ricky, it's interesting you should ask this, and I've been saving this the whole show. But uh, I have a new article out at Vox.com right now uh, in the highlight. It's part of the horror issue. It's, Unsubscribe. Um, the <laughs> I wrote about children's horror and the whole concept of like horror movies for children and what horror movies are, what kind of they're doing in, in the child psyche. And I think this this is this real moment where you could have a movie like this where the primary character was a 10-year-old or whatever, a 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of unclear whether the movie is supposed to be watched by 10 to 13-year-olds or adults or what. And it's because of this crazy moment, like children's media didn't really exist in the way it exists now before the late seventies, early eighties. There was a really this experimental time, like right up through the, this period where nobody was really sure what children's media is or did or how to, what the limits of it were really. And there was this kind of idea, especially at this moment that like their horror was a thing that kids liked and there was a way to do it. That was like kind of kid friendly and could be consumed by kids. If not in the movie theater, then certainly like on video cassette later on. And I think that like that doesn't really exist anymore. Sure. Of course there is scary stuff for kids that it still exists, but in this kind of like major, major mass market studio pop culture way, it's, you know, gone away. And uh, it's just, it's a real artifact of a real fascinating era. And if you want to read a bunch of academics who know more about it than me, go over to Vox.com, the highlight, check out my article. That that sounds like a really great article. Why haven't you sent it to me? It's not out. It's coming out on, uh, as we record this, it's coming out tomorrow. Please send me a link when it comes out. When you publish articles for anything, please send me links. I would love to, yeah. Always send me links to your work. I want to read it. great. Um, what about you, Ricky? What do you think we've grown out I of? Think that's a, I think that's a really great answer. I think it's hard for me to top that. I will say I think we've grown out of horror movies um, allowing themselves to be this silly without being an overt parody. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like this is still trying to exist as a horror movie while being um, very, very silly. Well, and I, I guess... just don't think, I don't think we see that anymore. Like I, I will say like, for me, like Don't Breathe 2, which I saw, I thought was extremely funny, but it is played very straight. This is not played straight. This is played as broad as possible. Um, I think, And I don't, I don't think you get that. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think there's this movie has this kind of idea that, you know, the killing people can be funny, whereas I think that that isn't what happens in most movies these days. There are movies like Happy Death Day or... You know uh, that movie with Vince Vaughn. What is that called? Switch or Freaky? Freaky. Freaky. Where I think that that is kind of baked into it a little bit, but let's say certainly it's more rare. You know, I would I would also say that like Freaky, like Happy Death Day, exists more in the sort of '90s era horror movie where it's like it's very self-referential. Like people under the stairs isn't self-referential. It's its own original idea, right? You know, and it's not it's not relying on you knowing about like horror tropes or something. You know, Freaky's kind of constantly calling attention to itself. Mm -hmm. I haven't actually seen Uh, it. I haven't actually seen it, but kind of sucks. I watched like forty-five minutes of it, and the first thirty is really fun, and then it just kind of should end after like right. 70 minutes. It kind of seemed know? like that. That is why I never actually watched it. You know, a fun yeah. concept Other that people... then would get bogged down in the plot in the way a lot of like comedy movies get bogged down in the plot. It's exactly, exactly what happens. It gets bogged down in the plot and you're just kind of like, why? Who cares? What, this isn't what, what I'm watching the movie for, you know? What makes you think I care about 
the, the relationship between the mother and the daughter. I do not give a shit. I want them to murder more people. I just want to see screen. a bunch of fun set pieces where the, yes, the hot teenage it. girl is the murderer. Yes. You know? That is all that I want. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, fortunately, um, the people under the stairs gives that to you. There's a lot of great set pieces inside this one set piece, the house. The giant house, which I cannot be said enough is this kind of insane Simpsons treehouse of horror, like fun house with... In a random neighborhood in LA. Yeah, gadgets of all kinds and unbreakable windows and trap doors and little and it's little living rooms and inside the walls and you know. But it's not even like a mansion like set back on a hill or something. <laughs> like, it's literally like just on like a half an acre <laughs> plot right on the street. Like it's got LA a short driveway, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I love it. Happy Halloween. Yeah. I know this is coming out the day after Halloween, but I'm glad I got the chance to watch a horror movie for, for, for Halloween yeah, this same. year. And it's um, one of my favorites. So that was great. great. All right. Peace out, dog. Peace. Peace.